in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. All right, it is Friday, and boy, is it a jam-packed weekend. If you hate Sanford or like Sanford, you're going to get all the Sanford you can get. Women's basketball, men's basketball, football, rugby, field hockey. What else could we blame it? Uno. Synchronized swimming. Yeah. Basket weaving. We now have a pool big enough to swim in. No, we don't, actually, still. I was going to say, I don't know. I mean, we could create one. It's been very rainy, you know. No, it is. It is. It is. It has been very Southwest Virginia, Eastern Kentucky, sort of uh, gray and gloomy and rainy. Uh, or at least it seems like every time I drop through those areas to get to a game, that's what's happening. I think you and me are architecturally inclined, so we could create a like catch area for the water, get some more in there, and then it, we'd have to come up with a sanitation system and such. But uh, I, I'm up for it. I think we could do it. Clearly, this time of year is not busy enough for us. This is a project we can take out. Yeah, I don't know. There it. is nothing going on in the athletic world as far as games go, so I don't, I don't, I don't understand. So we got um, three Sanfords, and uh, I know. What's your, what's your favorite Sanford of the three? My favorite Sanford <laughs> of the three. That's a good question. I, you know, Scotty Pageant's gone. It'd be Scotty Pageant. I mean, let's, Scotty. let's let's just be honest. It would be Scott Pageant. Gone but not forgotten. That's true. That's true. I feel like you're a big Bucky guy, so you may go. Oh boy. You may go Bucky McMillan. Should um, we open that I guess it's Chris Hatcher now because I enjoy. Now, last year he he did disappoint me because he did not uh, throw it and try to score a thousand points and brag about the first offense. Whatever he actually ran the ball. Uh, they were a little more under control compared to what they've been in the past. And, of course, you know, when you had Devlin Hodges, who broke the all-time FCS passing record, beat Steve McNair, I mean, it's hard not to probably take advantage of some of that stuff. But it's a little point. But I guess, I guess uh, football just because of Chris Hatcher. I, I tell you what the best team of the three is, women's basketball. Oh, not even close. Andrews <laughs> Illinois or anyway. We'll talk about them in segment two, football segment three, bold prediction segment four, and basketball, though. Let's I talk about the game on the court, shall we? That like got to bounce back, Mike, on the floor. And certainly it could be perfect timing because I don't know if you've paid attention to Samford's men's basketball scores lately. They have not been good. Well, I, I think the issue has been, obviously, you lose your top two scorers, of course. That's very obvious, right? You know, Myron Gordon out for the year, injured. Christian Guest opts out. You don't have either of them. Okay. That's the clear runaway favorite for why the team has kind of stumbled. But you get out of quarantine, right? You missed, what, five games? It was an absurd amount of games. You missed five games. You play Mercer twice, and we know it's a Mercer team that, much like they were against ETSU this past Wednesday, can be high quality, can be one of the better sides in the Southern Conference. When their offensive efficiency is at the level that it was on Wednesday, and quite honestly, what I envisioned it being a lot of the year, uh, then you've got a team that is dangerous. For Mercer, they haven't had that a lot of the year. That being said, you take Mercer to overtime twice and you lose both. One was double overtime. And I think that that was the final deflating issue for Sanford. When you get out of quarantine, you've had the time off, you come out, and you can't even get one of the two when you play three combined overtime periods because they've lost their last two by 43 combined points. And I don't really know if there's a team in the league that I'd say is a more sure victory right now for any squad um, than Sanford is when you're playing against them. Western Carolina, you know, they looked pretty good against Chattanooga for 37 minutes, and they almost took the mocks down. On the road, if Stephen Kendrick wasn't 7 for 7 from 3. So I think that this is a, like you said, perfect time to catch Sanford. Um, they're trying to figure out the rotation. They've been trying to the entire year. 
substitution patterns are the strangest that I've seen from any Division One head coach. Buck McMillan, of course, going from high school where he won like five state championships and went to seven in like the last eight years there and had plenty of success. And I think he was the perfect intersection of what they were looking for. You know, someone committed to Sanford's mission, someone that has a track record of winning championships, and someone that is familiar to the area and can galvanize the fan base, right? And I'm sure down there, Bucky McMillan, with all the success that he has had, there's no one that would look at him and say, well, well, who, right? Like in Birmingham at the high school level, he was as good as a guy. Um, But he struggled in his first year, and and I think some of that is obviously not being able to figure out who he wants to use, when he wants to use them, how much he wants to use them. And then, of course, when you have guys opting in, opting out, rotations changing all the time, it can be difficult to create camaraderie in the fall. I would also say, too, when you play that style of defense, I would say that's something that isn't just a let's get a couple practices in and take a few weeks off or take ten days off, right? I think – you know, it just seems like when you want to do that because, you know, I've watched a little bit of um, their early games compared to some of the late games. In early games, they were a little more dynamic in some of their press stuff. And the last couple, and again, they have some guys missing, so it's certainly that's part of it. You know, they've still got some very talented, very quick. I mean, Preston Parks is still unbelievable and can put up some numbers. He certainly can shoot them out of games, which he's done. But we've seen him score at the Citadel. We've seen him score at UT Martin. Certainly he's had his moments at Sanford. I just think with the style of system, from what I've been able to see is the layman guy, right, just the radio guy that watches regular games on ESPN3, not coaches tape and a bunch of other stuff, it just really feels like the layoff for them, even though I know they shot the ball very well against Mercer twice and maybe the two heartbreaking defeats have just been the straw broke the camel's back for the rest of the season. But to me, that had to have hurt them and their momentum. I mean, they still have one of the biggest, probably upset wins, and it gets better Absolutely. every week with Absolutely. the winning at Belmont. And then for Belmont, they have to be kicking themselves going, this loss, as this team continues to get beat by 20-some points, is horrific. Not only beating them, but soundly. Beating them like a drum. 96 points. It was very impressive. Yeah. So I, I think some of the press stuff, some of the guys missing, some of the downtime – the dynamic of what Coach McMillan is trying to do there is just not there. And, again, even though he brought in some of his, quote-unquote, guys or whatever, there were a lot of holdovers. There were a lot of guys that probably don't fit that system. It's going to take time. It's going to, you know, in today's world, it may only take next year before he has leftovers this year and next year. I don't know. It may take a third year. But in that system where you're going to run a lot, you need a lot, you have to have depth on the roster 1 through 13. And I think that he doesn't have that. And they played 18 guys. They only have 15 on the roster now because we talked about Gordon and Gas no longer with the team, at least for this year. K.J. Davis is also not on the roster anymore, no longer at Sanford. So they're down to 15. They're playing 12 or 13. I've never seen two decisions like the ones that you've had from Preston Parks and Tristan Chambers. The Preston Parks one's weird enough, right? Because he starts out with SoCon, wins SoCon freshman of the year, goes to UT Martin, now he's back in the SoCon. Tristan Chambers started at Sanford, transferred to Alabama Huntsville, and is now back at Hardly Sanford. ever. I've ever. never I've never seen it. The only other time I, I can I've, – uh, now, he didn't go to a junior college. I've seen – I actually have seen in football where a guy will play his freshman year and then go to junior college then come back to the same school. I've seen that once or twice – Basketball, I've never seen go down to Division Two, grad transfer, get a waiver back up to the same school you were at. That's very – and I really – I mean, the coaching change, I'm sure, is part of it. But still, I don't – it's the first time I can remember that, that happening there. And, and football is – there would be a guy that redshirted, then played two years junior college, then come back and be a redshirt junior or whatever. So there are some things there. I think football is just different. If you went to junior college and did that, I could see something. But he went, played down yeah. a level for a couple years and then came back up to the exact same school. That is a first for me. And you're right with the system. It is going to take, I'm not sure a year or two is even enough. With usual coaching changes, when do you start to see the real imprint of a coach on a program? Year three, right? Year three is usually that's, that's what they say. At least. That's, that's yeah, I mean, it's a theory. Right? That's what everybody's gone with. Um, but with Bucky McMillan's system, You've got to weed out the ones that don't fit. And 
I'm not sure, and, and you know, I'm not saying that he weeded out Myron Gordon or Christian Gass, but those are the two players that I think, in terms of traditional basketball players, along with Jalen Dupree, who they do still have, are your three best players. And to lose those two, um, huge. But that being said, you know, I'm not sure if those two or Dupree necessarily fit what he's trying to do. It's going to take a teardown of the roster this year, as has already begun. Then a build-up for years, I think, two and three, and then maybe year four you start to see it. It's going to take a really long leash. And to be fair, Scott Padgett had a really long leash. He had barely any success there. I mean, you can point to maybe one season where you say, all right, hey, you know, Stanford's moving in the right direction. How long was he there? Seven years, I think? Six or seven seasons. So it's been – they give coaches a long time to be able to figure it out, which Bucky McMillan will need. But they've lost nine of their last ten. They were in a lot of games up until – these last two, their three non-conference losses by eight or less, five of their first seven SOCON losses by single digits, including those two overtime losses to Mercer, but they've lost their last two by 43 combined, as we said. For ETSU, I want to look at their last seven, because they've lost five of their last seven. And there's a couple trends that emerge. Firstly, they're averaging just 13 free throw attempts per game. Three times going to the line, less than ten times. They never did that over the first 15, and you know the stat as well as I do. When the Bucks make 20 free throws or more, They've won 30 of their 32 with Jason Shea at ETSU. I'm not saying you have to get to that number, but 13 attempts. You're not talking makes. You're talking attempts. Way too low. Uh, rebounding has been up to par. Three times in the first 15 games, they had 33 rebounds or less. Five times in the last seven. And I know Coach Shea post-game after the Mercer loss, well, they weren't missing a lot of shots. Yes, that's true, but 20 rebounds. I mean, that was well below. Nine rebounds below any other game this year. Um, and then you look at defense, both outside the arc and inside the arc. ETSU's opponent shot 46% or above four times in the first 14 games, six of the last eight. And perimeter defense also taking a tumble each of the last eight. The Bucks have allowed eight or more threes just seven times in the first 14 games. So being aggressive, getting to the line, just defending better and rebounding. And I hate to say it, but when you look at the defensive side and at rebounding, a lot of that is effort, right? A lot of that is connectivity, effort, and the pure want to, to do what a lot of people don't want to, right? Defend and rebound. They're not glamorous things, but they're what you need to do to win. You know, ETSU's been getting the ball inside. They've been getting more. So I, I don't know if they're not aggressive enough to draw the contact. Right. If they're, you know, we've seen a couple guys do fadeaways from just outside the paint as opposed to, to going up strong. We've seen, you know, a couple games where, you know, like Citadel, a lot of black shots, you know, ETSU – other than Bonnie Patterson, you know, didn't pump fake. I mean, ETSU was 10 of 14 inside the charge circle last game. I mean, 71%. And two of those misses, right, the missed dunk by Brewer, Ty Brewer, and then the missed layup by Ty Brewer. Uh, and then I think David Sloan got blocked at the rim. So, I mean, you're looking at I, – I still – it's the first time in the seven games that they've outshot somebody from right in the charge circle and didn't win. And so that that's at least a trend they are – getting there they're starting to figure out go to the rim they're doing some things like that i think they need to continue to do that and i think especially against sanford where they will have a distinct advantage they need to continue to do that go to the rim get those see if they can't get a decade it seemed like they've last couple games tried to get the ball inside more to a decade and work inside out it's still not enough for me um and to hear coach shea and some of his comments it doesn't seem like it's enough for him either but i wish they would continue to do that because I feel like he does make good decisions on do I need to pass the ball out or can I take a shot. One interesting thing on a deck I found, he was shooting 71% during the non-conference, which is, you know, you don't expect someone to do that the entire year, but he really has dropped off in efficiency. And I don't know if it's some of the inconsistency of L.A. or Damari. I mean, Damari had, what, five straight 20-point games, and now he's scored 19 the last got to wake him back up. So you don't even have 20 points in the last four after five straight 20-point games. Um, but 49% during conference play, that's still good, don't get me wrong, but when you're shooting 71%, 20 of your 28 shots went in in the non-conference, it's been a bit odd to see. Maybe he's just forcing in a bit more again because you haven't really had outside of David Sloan, someone that you can consistently count on. I'm not quite sure. I do want to go back to Mercer just for a second. I know everyone views it as this like horrific, awful loss. That's the team I thought we were getting from Mercer this year. I thought we were going to get that on a game-in, game-out basis, and it was almost a bit vindicating just from a you know impartial bystander point of view to see that team show up finally, because Mercer is a better team than six and seven. You, you me and Kevin Brown 
looked Absolutely. at some projections before the year, and you and Kevin and myself, we all thought that Mercer was going to be a top two or three team. What's happening in the league, and I get you don't want to lose. Five of seven, not good, right? All of them have been by eight or less. And what we're finally seeing is the league evening out to what we thought it would be at the beginning of the year. I know it's not how people wanted it to go down, right? Six of the last seven, or six of the first seven you won, five of the last seven you've lost. But ETSU, having lost their top eight scorers, top six rebounders, so on and so forth, if you would have said at the beginning of the year that they were 12-10 and 10 and 8-6 and six in the league going into the final week and a half, honestly, I would have said, great, I think Jason Chase is doing a hell of a job. Because when you lose that much, I mean, look at Kentucky. What are they, 7-13? and 13? I mean, they're awful. And they're the only team that had less letter winners returning than ETSU this year, and they are a blue-blood program. This team was gutted. Whole new coaching staff, aside from Shea, who is in a new position, and every head coach ever will tell you going from an assistant to a head coach is a huge change. There's massive roster turnover. You've lost some games that you'd like to win. I get that. You've been in every game. You haven't gotten blown out. And quite honestly, some of these teams were seen meet ETSU in the middle, like Chattanooga, who is extremely talented. I know you hate to hear it, but it's true. Mercer, extremely talented. ETSU is extremely talented. But there is not one standout team in this league. The fact that ETSU is only two games out of first right now, tell you that in November. Two games out of first with three, four games to play, depending on what team you're talking about. You take it every single time. I mean, and I think I even said on the podcast, I thought there was a shot of a four-way tie at 13-5. and Yeah. And early in the season, it looked like ETSU and UNCG, Wofford may run away. One of those teams would take off, whether we believed in them or not. And even, even Furman at that point thought, okay, these teams are playing good enough. They're winning some games. And then when they started, uh, what was Jason say, the, the cannibalism of the yeah. league. They started, you know, uh, knocking each other off. But to your point, yes, I would have said at the beginning of the year, if you would have signed me up for 9-9 nine and nine or better, I would have took it in a heartbeat. Especially when you got the number one team at 10-4 with two weeks left, one week left in regular season play. And, and ETSU still has time, again, They've had some tough, tight losses. Can they? Because I think they're one in five in those games. Yeah. If they can figure out again, maybe they roll. Assuming Sanford's still Sanford, now maybe they wake up and figure something out. But if ETSU can get that game and try to jumpstart, then they go to a, a very tough VMI team at home. I know VMI's had its struggles on the road, but at home they've knocked off UNCG. They've knocked off Furman, and Wofford had to hit a buzzer beater to beat them. In Lexington, so it's going to be a dogfight on Wednesday, and then of course ETSU UNCG, and then there's a maybe make up the the other game uh, coming up right. Yeah, now it's sounding like maybe the Monday after UNCG, uh, it, but it only if it affects standings. I don't think they're they're only going to do it if it, if if and just for an example. But I don't if see ETSU a scenario now where it doesn't in. affect standings, right? I don't see a scenario where it doesn't. Well, if they're in the four or five game. And you're fair. just talking that's about fair. who wears the white or the that's blue fair. jersey. I don't think point. it matters. That's so um, that's, I think, the only thing that comes into play. If it's a matter of will they be the five or will they be the six, will they be the three, will they be the four, then I think you have to will they will it be for a share of the championship if ETSU right. ran the I mean, there's a lot to go. I mean, UNCG, you know, if they lose at home to Chattanooga, who continues to skyrocket, then all of a sudden, you know, depending on what Furman does at home in a winnable game, then they've got the end of the year with Wofford. I mean, you're talking about still, and then UNCG still got to go to ETSU. I mean, there is some standings could shake up. I mean, UNCG could still conceivably lose three games and and be seven losses. Absolutely. And, again, ETSU could lose one and be at seven losses. I think Furman and Wofford probably have the inside track there, and maybe even Chattanooga would be better. And then you're talking about early in the season when ETSU and UNCG kind of and running away with it, they're going to be possibly in a 4-5 game. Chattanooga and Wofford and Furman tied for the 1-2-3. And, and that is the perfect example of what this league is. Just right there. You just said it. Like, what you thought in January that you suddenly were thrown into complete disarray on, like going into the league, you're like, oh, wow, I was completely wrong. You weren't because now we're seeing everything – unfold exactly how you thought it would pre-conference year, but then you were in the conference year for a month and you forgot about all that. You have to have some perspective and remember, in November, late November, going into the year, you thought one thing, right? Just because a month of SOCON play went by and it wasn't going that way doesn't mean 
that you were totally, completely far off. Like, things are coming back to where you thought they'd be. And if you looked from January to now, yes, you'd be shocked. But if you look back a couple more months, and you and I are as in tune with this league, I think, as anybody around the Southern Conference, then you see a different picture. And it's the picture that is being painted in February when it matters. So if you want to do one thing, just to simplify it for you, forget about January. Forget about January and and December. And think about February and what you thought in November because things are playing out exactly uh, how we thought they would. And one other thing, this game against Sanford, yes, on paper it looks easy. Just trust us on this. It's not going to be as easy as it does appear for a number of reasons. Um, yeah. Just At this point, win and survive. Yes. I mean, just, just get back in the win column, see what happens if we beat them up. I think one of the reasons is timing. 8 o'clock on a Saturday in what's likely to be a completely empty, empty. arena. Even if they were, you know, they're allowing fans or not, probably completely. I mean, they've been allowing fans for years, supposedly. Correct. Okay. Haven't seen them. So it's going to be yeah, very interesting. All right. We'll step aside for a timeout. We'll transition each issue women's basketball for this timeout. Sando Sakic on the Buccaneers Sport Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on. Embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Oh, yeah, there we go, Mike. Bring it in, baby. Santos and the sidekick. Favorite jams coming in. That hot cut. It's either that or the uh, Halloween uh, scary version we come in. I do love Uh, Pirate Bomb. But I can tell by playing that you are excited. Women's basketball's back. They're going to get a chance to get not able to play uh, Thursday. That game was uh, postponed or I guess canceled now at this point in time in the season. But this is an interesting matchup because it's uh, the teacher and the students, right? Uh, uh, With Coach uh, Coons, excuse me. Uh, being on Brittany's Hill staff there, I believe, at Belmont yep. uh, for a couple of years. So certainly it's a situation where Sanford, she's done an outstanding job. She took over a program that was eh and was able to take them to a tournament last year. Got off to a rocky non-conference start, right, but now sitting atop the league 9-2, uh, and two, Mercer behind them at 7-2. and two. Just a couple of losses, one of those coming uh, recently to the Wofford Terriers, but certainly this is a team that has proven in her a year and three quarters that she certainly can coach them up in league play. Yeah, so they lose six of their first seven. And you're like, well, Sarah Myers wasn't that important. You know, Shante Battle gets hurt four games in, and she had won the Southern Conference Player of the Week in the first week of the year. And you're like, wow, well, without Battle, certainly they've lost six of their first seven. They've got no Shante Battle. Uh, Sarah Myers, who arguably league player of the year last year, of course, Nadine Solomon kind of got the – um, I call it the cumulative SOCON career award. Uh, which happens. It does. We've talked about and, that. And she's very deserving, no question. I voted for Natalie Armstrong for Southern Conference Player of the Year, um, and she ended up winning Southern Conference Tournament MVP as they went on to that Southern Conference postseason championship for her play down the stretch and ultimately pulling away um, in the title game um, because she had you know five points late and proved to be the difference maker in that game. But you look at that non-conference schedule a little more, and you're like, okay, well, at Alabama, at Auburn, at number 13, Indiana, this early. I mean, a lot of big names. Kind of a gauntlet, right? You almost beat Auburn on the road, and Indiana, yeah, you got slaughtered, right? 71 to 26, but number 13 in the country, and then you went on to play Kentucky. That was the fifth loss. Kentucky was number nine in the country, and, you know, you doubled your point output versus what it was versus Indiana. It's a loss by 34, but again, I don't think that's a loss that anyone would look at and say, oh, you say, you know, they're down. You got to dive a little bit deeper, and then you get to conference play, and you start to see Andrea Cornoyer. Transfer from Louisiana Lafayette, Annie Ram, transfer from Binghamton, and all of a sudden Sarah Myers, who transferred from Maryland and was deadly last year uh, for Sanford as they went on and won that Southern Conference regular season and postseason championship, she's just a distant glint in the rearview mirror, right? Uh, they've got Armstrong, they've got Ramble, they've got Binghamton. Three players have won Southern Conference Player of the Week for this team, and Armstrong, who I voted for, for Southern Conference Tournament MVP, or I should say regular season MVP, she's not even one of them. I mean, this is a deep team. They don't have battle, but they have not 
missed her. Uh, Raven Omar has been better. You know, she has doubled her point output. Been quiet lately, but she's someone that stepped up and, and filled the shoes of battle. And um, I mean, she was averaging 15 points per game once battle. So yes, at, in the beginning, you try to work around that, and I think that's why you saw some of the results that you did. You know, you throw out the Birmingham Southern and the Alabama Huntsville because those are not one games, and you throw out those Power Five games, and all of a sudden you've only got a couple of games at your level to judge against for Sanford. Um, but, boy, have they figured it out. They look really strong. They look really solid. They're top 60 in the nation in both field goal percentage and three-point percentage. Um, and they're deep, and they're a team that's defending just about as well as they did last year. Um, Carly Coons has done a spectacular job, like you said, very familiar with each other, Coach Zell and Coach Coons. As Coach Coons was, I think, about my first six years. Coach Zell hired her and outlasted. Uh, coach at Belmont as coach came to ETSU and Coons remained there for I believe four more seasons and then took the Valdosta State job and if you looked at her time at Valdosta State which is her alma mater division two they succeeded those first couple of years just like they're succeeding now it's almost been the exact same script so she does a great job early on spent three years there and now she's in her second season here and it just looks like more success which I'm excited to see the Bucks, but this is a tough matchup on the road because this is the likely league winner. Let me tell you what usually wins uh, a lot of basketball games for you when you're and, and league games because again, I always when you get to a certain point only like to look at conference standings because not all non-conference games are, are equal. Certainly looking at what you just read off the gauntlet, but when you're first in league play in field goal percentage and you're first in field goal percentage defense, generally speaking, you'll win a lot of games, yeah. and that's exactly what's happened. They also lead the league as you mentioned, or you mentioned some national numbers, but they lead the league in three-point percentage shooting, and three-point percentage defense. I mean, it's pretty simple math at some point in time. When you're hitting a lot of shots and making sure the other team doesn't hit shots, you're going to win games or plus uh, 12.6 in scoring margin. And you're talking about that's an 11-game sample. There's nobody even remotely close to that. Five points away from that is the second team, which is Mercer. So uh, they've definitely, once they've gotten into league play, they've hit a stride. They've got plenty of scores. They all seem to share the basketball. They play sort of that hybrid Princeton style, if I'm not mistaken, uh, offense. And so they get a lot of layups. They get a lot of threes, right? Pretty pretty simple math at, at some point in time. If they hit a lot of layups, and then they're shooting 47% for three, then it, it's going to be a long day for teams. And for coaches, those coming off a long layoff, that'll be the challenge, right? Well, that's the scary part because last year, you know, you played the whole season, right? There was no COVID, and you went into Pete Hanna Center, and Sam beat you 68-34. And those 34 points, the second fewest in program history, and you weren't having to combat a long layoff like ETSU is now. Think about how long it's been since the Bucks were together as a team on a game day. Remember, against Furman, they played eight, night one. They had nine, night two. They were missing four and three players respectively, or I should say five and four players respectively, and some of those were key contributors. So... Each weekend around that Furman series, you had to postpone because of COVID. It's been almost a month since ETSU has had their full complement of players, and they've been able to all play together and be in the same gym on a game day where they've got their usual rotations and they've got their starting lineup that they want to put out there, and they have players that are in defined roles. I'm worried because you look at the result last year, and then you see what ETSU is walking into this year and not being able to be together on the court a whole lot. Um, and it feels like it could be a rude awakening. We obviously hope that's not the case. Uh, the nice thing is ETSU will be back together for the first time in quite some time. Ja'Kai Davis, Ja'Kai Dowdell, are there fresher legs, right? A lot of times you can bat this time of year some fatigue. You know, there's the other side of it. Maybe, maybe there's not some of that. Maybe this can benefit ETSU. Uh, maybe Sanford is, you know, walking into this game saying, ah, the same things we're saying, right? They haven't played in a while. You know, look at, look at them in the standings. Like, we should be able to sleepwalk through this game. And you catch them off guard. And there's no second game against Sanford. So there's no chance for revenge there, right, for Sanford to come out and be like, all right, well, we're really going to put it to him now. There's a lot of opportunity here for ETSU. I am just excited to see him back on the court because Akaya Dadell, Jakaya Davis, um, you know, Jasmine Sanders, Carly Hooks, so on and so forth. Um, it's been quite some time since we've gotten to see the product that I think you and me were excited for this year. Um, and I'm still excited for it going forward because really what it comes down to is, what, three games in March, right? And ETSU is almost there. They are likely going to have a couple of games added next week. Nothing's official yet, but they've got a little bit of time to still tune up um, for that conference tournament, and uh, hopefully it lets them find a little bit of a rhythm because they haven't been able to get it done so far. 
Yeah, I think <clears throat> that'll be the key. Can they? How long will it take? If it takes a quarter, quarter and a half, certainly it's going to be a long day. If it takes a couple minutes, then I think, okay, here we go. You know, the best thing probably for ETSU is honestly, even if they're still not quite on the same page, if just a couple of shots go down early. I think that's the thing. You know, they've said the old adage, you know, you can't win a game in the first quarter, but you can lose it. And I think this game has that feeling of because it's been a while versus a team that's been on the same page. And, yes, they didn't play Thursday, and it got them maybe slightly out of the rhythm. But for the most part, they've been on the floor. They've had most of their players, not all the entire time. So I think it's going to come down to what does ETSU do in the first quarter. And one thing I wonder as we're talking about fresh legs and opportunity and everybody being back, you know, is this a chance to, for 40 minutes, throw that press up? Because ETSU has been good in two areas offensively, when they have defense turn into offense and on baseline out-of-bounds plays. They have been exceptional with those design set pieces this year. But when they've been good in league play on offense, they have done that 1-2-1-1 one, one, one press that Coach Zell loves. And I know that the players love to play, too. It's exhausting, though. So you couldn't do that during the Furman games, and you saw the results. And ETSU hasn't used it consistently, so they haven't been able to create that consistent offense. Is this the chance to do that against a Sanford team? But yes, it's very polished and honed, and it may not affect them the way it affects other teams. I think that there should be a lot of that this game if you're going to pull that road upset because it would be a huge one to build some confidence going to the final week of the season. Yeah, I agree, and uh, we'll see which – Buccaneers uh, can kind of get going early, which ones are lagging behind. But uh, we've got more prediction coming up on that as well. And that's coming up after we talk a little ETSU football. Can you believe that? February 20th, ETSU football. It's also Sanford, in case you forgot. This is the Sanford special on Sanderson and Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Enjoy the new year with more games, more chances to win, and even more fun from the Tennessee Lottery. And you can play any way you like. Play quick and win big with instant games. Or try drawing-style games that pack a big money punch. So don't drop the ball. Make a resolution to put a little more cash and a whole lot of fun in your pocket today with the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Gave it to me. Here we go. It's Sandos in the sidekick. Talking ETSU football because Mike Gallagher, what says football like February 20th? Uh, Everything? Well, the AAF, the XFL, I suppose we have had some leagues have, started around yep. this time lately. Yep. Yep, uh, hopefully the whole league, like NCAA, unfolds uh, like they have everything else. Well, let me ask you this, because this has been hotly debated. Would you be in favor of permanently moving? No. no. Just, you know, you want to let me get the sentence out. You're sober. Okay. You don't like it? There's no. a gap to be filled here, and you're just not a fan of... Uh, I'm not a fan because I think, um, and I don't think it would be rampant, but there would be a there would be some interesting player movements in the spring, whether that be draftable, whether that be... Hey, I had a pretty good year at FCS. We've discovered we're going to have a need, so why don't you come join us and other things. And I, I think throwing off a sport with recruit, just everything that goes into it, I, I would not be a fan. Mark me down in favor. What a shock. I, I kind of knew. I, 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 I kind of knew when you asked the question that that's what you were doing. I'm leading you into a debate argument. Yes, yeah, I'm not really arguing. But, okay. Uh, but right. you, you want one way or one another. There's not much to argue. Yeah, that's right. You're not going to win me over. So, so that's true. Uh, when do I ever win you over? Yeah, sure. That's okay. All right, let's talk a little ETSU football. And uh, let's start, I guess, on the offensive side of the ball where we've got some knowns. We know a guy named Quay Holmes. We know a guy named Jacob Sailors, right? I think that's safe. We know most of the tight ends all returned from last year, uh, including Nate Atkins. I think you start with him. Offensive line's got some some knowns. Traymond Shorts, Devon Matthews, been started for a couple years. Um, Fred Norman, Jr., Big Fred got, got, got some time in. You love uh, Casey Setsacorn got just a couple of, of games in. Also, Blake Austin's a guy that saw action in one game last year. He's expected to be in the mix. New center, Joe Schreiber. So, new, newish and some familiar names there. Wide receiver, it's good to see Isaiah Wilson back. Certainly, Will Huzzy started to make his own name. And then you get to maybe the most unknown, and that's the quarterback position, right? We saw Tyler Rydell, a.k.a. the mayor. 
Um, play a little bit last year. He's giving the starting nod, but Coach Sanders in his press conference um, mentioned, but not limited to, seeing Brock Landis and or Cade Weldon uh, get snaps, if not uh, specifically in this game, certainly in the next few games they will. Yeah, no question. Um, I'm particularly happy with how the offensive line came together. I know this sounds crazy, and yes, we can break down the quarterback position all day long, right? But Randy Sanders, as well as offensive coordinator Mike Rader, told you in a conversation that you'll be able to hear on the pregame show, Buccaneer Sports Network, 1130 is when that starts. Of course, kickoff 1 o'clock on Saturday. But you're probably going to see a couple of these guys, if not all three, Landis, Weldon, and Rydell. Rydell just has a better grasp of the offense, right? Landis is super talented, but maybe the furthest behind when it comes to that. Weldon's been around. Obviously, he was probably the starter. We've gone over it you know, many times last year before he was injured, was the starter. But they like Rydell right now. Offensive line, now they're going to be without Blake Austin, it sounds like. So you're going to have uh, the backup, Sessacorn, step into the left guard position um, from everything that we've heard. But, I mean, Norman, Shorts, Matthews, and Schreiber, I get we don't know a ton about what he is right now because he really hasn't played since high school, coming out of Eden Prairie, Minnesota, such a heralded program up there. But if you're good enough out of high school to go to NDSU, I'll give you the old story, J.C. I know, so you like to regale me with old stories. I'll yep. regale you with one. Um, there's a baseball coach of mine, played AAA for the Braves, my high school coach. He you know, obviously connected around the Minnesota area. And he told me a story about how uh, he was at University of Minnesota one day, and they were hanging out around the cage, right? There were some guys taking batting practice for the U of M, and he was just there because, you know, again, he was he had connections in the Braves organization at the major league level, um, certainly throughout the minor leagues, and was someone that was around a lot of big-time programs. Well, there was a big hulking guy, right, just huge dude, not on the University of Minnesota baseball team. This was a University of Minnesota practice. They were just all taking hacks, and this guy just happened to, you know, hang out around the cages with the University of Minnesota, like – had been an athlete before, but never really played a ton of baseball, you know, some high school, and had never played in college, was, I believe, a basketball or football player. He stepped into the cage and hits two 450-foot bombs with a wood bat. Happens to be a scout there. The only thing that they had ever seen from this guy, those two 450-foot bombs he's drafted, on the theory that if you see it, it is repeatable, and then it's up to the coach in your organization to get it to be repeated over and over and over again. Right now, Joe Schreiber, someone that you've seen it at Eden Prairie, North Dakota State thought it was good enough for them. Now it's up to ETSU's coaching staff to get Schreiber to be able to repeat it. He has not had a chance to at the collegiate level because NDSU was stacked, and then he went to community college in Iowa. They didn't play last year, so we didn't get a chance to play here or there. So now he's going to get a chance to play here on basically day one of him stepping onto campus. And with the size that he has, the pedigree that he has, I'm excited. I think the offensive line has actually come together quite nicely. Number one, is he your favorite player because he's from Minnesota? I do talk a lot about him. I like it. No, I'm fine with that. I, I, I think it's it, great to see a tie like that. And it's a, a state and a position and something that you generally don't get to talk about or don't get to see. And so I think things stick out. I think it's similar to when ETSU had not had a lot of guys from Ohio, right? And all of a sudden there's guys from Ohio. You never know. You know, if Joe Schreiber as well, does that open up the door? So maybe North Dakota State isn't snaking everybody because they can't keep everybody. And to give Joe some credit here, he was the backup. And then when it was told he might be third string, he thought, well, I'll go somewhere else. But, I mean, it's not like the fine line, um, you know, there was a huge drop of everything. I mean, he got a little bit of game action, got a little cup of coffee, if you will. I like how the line's coming together because I like, number one, the depth. Now, there's some young guys that haven't seen full game action, right, consistently. The other thing I like is the versatility because you can play um, Tremont Shorts at guard or tackle. Seth's corn can play guard or tackle. Matthews can play guard or center, right? Fred's going to be a tackle. I think that's pretty well done. And Blake Austin can play guard or tackle. So they got options. So to quote sort of Mike O'Kane, when you look at a two deep at offensive line, he's like basically you get two tackles and a spare, two guards and a spare, and then maybe a backup center. But you really only need seven guys if you have the right line because you got guys that can kind of mix around and plug and play, and I think the line is going to do that for Coach McCutcheon. You look at some of the years on these guys, and yesterday I'm sure it's going to be a junior, redshirt junior, Matthews is a sophomore, and you got Schreiber who is a junior, sets the corners just a sophomore, and then you look at Big Fred's a redshirt freshman, redshirt freshman, Blake Austin, and then pretty much after that, all freshmen. 
Flowers, Mitchell, Riley, Kimmins, Wishon. I mean, all those guys are going to be the redshirt freshmen and freshmen. So, still a fairly young line. But for the six to seven guys that I assume will see the action first, there's some guys I think that are real, will learn early on if they're going to be able to set the tone. But I think it does start with that offensive line, and I agree. I like the way that the line is looking and shaping right now. Unfortunate you didn't mention when you got your receiver, Bacho Arzo. We know that he is out this week, maybe out longer. That it, We can't have nice things at wide receiver. You know, Isaiah Wilson last year started to catch fire, right, and then gets hurt. He has to miss a significant period of time. And now this year, Bacho Arzo is a guy that turns some heads, people are excited about. Not going to be able to see him this week, maybe further into the future, um, which does leave Julian Lane Price in a position where, you know, maybe he gets to prove himself a little bit because he got Huzzy. I think a proven commodity. We haven't seen the production out of him consistently, right? But we know what he can do. Again, finding the repeatable thing you can do. Isaiah Wilson, I think, is your consistent guy. And then that third spot, now Julian Lane Price has a chance because Macho is out. Yeah, kind of interesting to see exactly how the receivers do with the quarterbacks because no offense to, to Trey Mitchell and everybody else that a snap last year, but it seemed like to be a guessing game when guys come out of the break where the ball was going to be. Well, these quarterbacks who Coach Sanders has touted as being an upgrade from last season, even Tyler Rydell upgrading his stock from last year, will that help the receivers make catches, right? Because they're not guessing where the ball is. They can come out of a break and know sort of a radius of where everything is going to be. So I'm thinking – you know, that is certainly something to keep an eye on. And then you lose Spagnoletti, you lose coffee, uh, you lose couch, I guess. Uh, I don't know that you really mentioned couch. But uh, you, you lose some guys there. Deep side, Jason. But I feel like there is a little bit of addition by subtraction. We'll see sort of how the receivers go. Uh, you know, Huzzy's proven he can make the ridiculous one-hand grabs. The question is, consistently, you know, can he get you four or five catches some down the field, some possession to move the chain, some other things. So we'll we'll see sort of how that goes. Flip side defensively, if I can switch gears Absolutely. on you here. The front three is obviously the big the biggest talk because you lost all the starters. And then uh, you know, other than Elijah Pinkleton, and yes maybe we've heard Juwan Ross for the simple reason that we've talked about and coach because he's transferred from ODU. Max Evans, you know, set out last year. And then you got three unknowns behind them, Rodney Wright, Timmy Dorsey the transfer. Devin Brantley, who they are very high on. Um, and, of course, they have Austin Lewis, but he's not going to be able to play until the fall. So that's probably the biggest unknown. Then you look at linebackers, and to me, you know, six of the eight, I, mean, I feel pretty strongly yes. about them. We know what Bockworth can do. We know what Manuel can do. We know what Folks. We know what Colt Lakes. We know Jalen Porter and Stephen Scott got some time last year, made enough plays that you at least are old. I feel good if they're in the game. It's the outside linebacker position on the other side with redshirt freshman DeAndre Davis. And then Jay Harrison, uh, transfer out of Buffalo. Jay Harrison's an interesting story because he actually tried to play him inside. It was looking like he's going to be down the depth chart. Came to the coach staff said, can I lose some weight? Can I play outside? And he said, absolutely. So they didn't think he would do that. So they, they did that. And it would be interesting to see how they go. DeAndre Davis is big because they apparently, big schools got off Davis because he had a knee injury, pretty significant, had some surgery. He's apparently recovered. ETSU took a flyer. Hopefully it pans out. But that being said, he's you know he didn't play at all last year either. So he's not taking a snap yet. So we'll see how it goes. But I feel pretty good if something happens to Davis, then you have Harrison. They've been impressed with Davis. And I think in the defensive backfield, it's Elijah Huzzy that has turned some heads. And then, then you have a number of, like, you know, Karanda Lentz, Tyree Robinson, and then, of course, Mike Price back there. I think the secondary is your most sure thing right now to me. I think this linebacker group has the chance to be the most impressive unit on defense all year long. Up front, I thought the most eye-popping thing was Timmy Dorsey actually wasn't on the original two deep. Now an injury to Cayman Cody, who was the backup uh, in the middle, now has pushed Dorsey to be behind Ross. And and they love Ross. Uh, It's going to be extremely difficult, I think, to find time if you're behind Juwan Ross. That being said, it's good to see Dorsey now on the two deep, but it was a little surprising considering, and maybe we gas him up too much because he was on last chance here, right? And that's what he's known for, and it's exciting, and it's national brand, and all this stuff. Maybe we gas him up too much, but he's certainly a talented player. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, to not see him, I think, even on the two deep was a little alarming to me, so I'm happy that he's there now, certainly hoping, though, Kim and Cody can be healthy again soon. Um, looking at it, you know, I think the defense will be ahead of the offense again. I think that's been the case 
uh, for a couple of years now, just if you look at it impartially, unbiasedly. Um, I, I th- it's interesting because, yes, the offense will get a lot of the talk, a lot of the credit. Um, if I were to ask you what the two deepest positions are on the team, then you'd probably say running back and tight end, right? Linebacker, possibly. You know, like you said, six of the eight are are a pretty impressive group. But running back, I mean, you've heard four or five different names being thrown out as possibly getting reps. And this will be very interesting to see how much they use Quay Holmes. Uh, Is it going to be 10 or 15 carries? Is that going to be it? what are we going to see from Jacob Saylors? I know he's been a little bit banged up. Is he going to get 10 or 15 touches? Do you risk playing them even more than that, or do you not even play them that much because you have Trey Foster has been someone that you can count on, it seems like, going throughout camp and talking to people around the program. And then there's the man that it seems like everyone is high on, Bryson Irby. So you're 40 there, and then, of course, you have Charlie Cole. I, I do not believe he's available for this game, but – You've got four that could play 10 snaps each, or I, sh- I should say get 10 touches each, uh, you know, could play a quarter, a quarter, a quarter, a quarter. Um, you've got Holmes and Sailors who have shown and proven that they can either carry it every single down, specifically in the case of Holmes, or you can have change of pace guys, or they can do pretty much everything. But are they going, especially with the fall coming up and being what it may be, right, a full season, and we have to say may at this point because you just don't know, but it seems like it's going to be 11-12 game season. You're going to have a full year just five months after, even less than five months after, the spring year is on the books. So what is that going to look like, that carry split? And then tight end, you've got three or four deep. So it's interesting, the offense I think is going to be behind, but they've got the two deepest positions where the defense just seems like more of a unit specifically in the linebacker core and in the secondary. No, I agree. When you look at the number of guys that played significant snaps, I think the defense certainly. I mean, Tyree Robinson, like 25 games in. Karan DeLance is also about the same number. Like, Bockrath has been a star. I mean, Jared Folks is in his 19th year of competition. So, I mean, I think when you look at Plastam Emanuel last year came on strong, I think agree that the there's more known, I think, the defense. The only question mark is that front three. But the rest – I think there is more known things going on. So defense should be ahead of the offense, I think, as far as ETSU is concerned. We'll see sort of how the ball control and everything goes. That was sort of the problem last year. Defense, and and give defense credit, offense was minus six on the turnover margin, and they gave up only 28 points compared to, again, minus six, and the offense put up 45 points. So Billy Taylor's defense, even though they were given uh, maybe some bad circumstances, they were able to sort of – uh, bow their back, if you will, not give up a lot of points. So, of course, Coach Shea has been doing this a long time. This is a, a coach that he's coached against at three different stops. So we know Chris Hatcher in the offense. The difference is Chris Hatcher switching to bit Sanford. Chris Hatcher's offense isn't quite the pass happy. At least last year it wasn't. Last year was not the pass happy. It was run, 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 then throw it. Still speed, and they still try to get you, um, you know, kind of – hand-eye trick instead of it just being all passing with the magic. It was more running. So I'll be curious to see what Chris Hatcher does on the offensive end. And, you know, he seems to be a little, and you talked to him, but he seemed to be a little unsure about what their offense was going to be as well. Well, he gave me the, we've been running the same place forever. But then you look at last year, 2019, and it was certainly different than it had well, been. Well, I guess he's had the same place. He just never called sure. those plays before. It certainly had been uh, different with Devlin Hodges versus after Devlin Hodges. I think he was kind of adjusting to his personnel in 2019 because had Liam Welch, right? Had Chris Oladokun. Oladokun, certainly one of his best assets is his ability to take off and run, right? So, so both of them can do that, but Oladokun had almost 500 yards rushing and he played uh, all 12 games, ended up starting eight, where Welch ended up starting four of those. And he has said that it's going to be, and when I talk to him again, you can hear that conversation, pregame show, Buccaneer Sports Network, 11.30 start. He said that truly this is going to be unless a guy gets the hot hand early on, a team that is going to alternate quarterbacks. Welch and Oladokun are both going to play. Outside of those two, I, I think you have to stop in every facet of the game, Montreal Washington. Uh, probably as dangerous of a weapon as there is in the Southern Conference when you talk about holistically, right? Special teams, 22 yards per punt return in 2019. Preseason All-American by two different outlets as a special teamer and punt returner, but he can also run it. He had, I believe, uh, 200 yards rushing in 
2019, but then 400 yards receiving, right? So they'll use him in a lot of different ways, and he can be kind of a game-breaker. Their top two receivers are gone. Washington is their leading returner there. Michael Weiss, Chandler Smith, and A.J. Tony are guys that you're going to see a lot of out there. It will be interesting coordinator-wise, and I know that you've touched on this a little bit, and you talked about it in the pregame show with um, Coach Rader, but they've got new coordinators on both sides of the ball. So with Hatcher being there, but having such a major turnover on the rest of their coaching staff, because a few other coaches are new as well, I wonder if there's some influence there that will change things. I, I would assume, though, not having a full year or whatever the, the math is for uh, Nick Biondetto, who took over as defense coordinator, who was at Sioux Falls for the last five years, to get everything in he wants to. Yes, he's probably put in the base. He's done this, but there's probably a lot of integral stuff that, like, for example, Chris Hatcher's been there six, seven years, so obviously all of his stuff is in. I doubt there's anything that base-wise he wants to do, so now he's just having fun and games with all the base stuff. I would be shocked if Coach Biondetto had everything in he wanted in at this point in time. And I don't know if that's an advantage or disadvantage. Ask Coach Sanders that, and we'll hear it on the, the pregame chat tomorrow. But, you know, he said he watched four or five games of Sioux Falls to get sort of an idea, and of course I knew he would. That's sort of how he is. But you don't know, right? You don't know until there. So there's a, I think there's an advantage for the defense because ETSU may take a little bit to see how they're going to play certain sets, how they'll line up, how they'll attack things. So I think there'll be a cat-and-mouse game early. I'm glad you mentioned special teams, though, because if you look at the SOCON preseason rankings, first team kicker, Mitchell Fennerin. Great kicker matchup. Ben, oh, yes, versus number two preseason, <laughs> Tyler Keltner. And then if you remember the Australian, right? Uh, Bradley uh, Porcitello uh, from Sanford, big Australian guy. He's number two. And then so you've got two number ones and number two on the specialists. You know, they don't rank uh, long snappers, but they probably got the best long snappers. So you're just looking at everything there, and Sanford seems to have a, a slight advantage. And in a game one, in a situation where cold weather and some other things, it could come down to simple things like converting field goals, extra points, punting. More importantly, punt returning, right? You're going to have Elijah Huzzy, a guy who's yet to return a punt in an ETSU uniform, versus a guy that you've already said, a couple All-American mentioned. So I think that's an area of the game that will be very interesting to see how it plays out in general, special teams, because the two best kickers, in theory, are going to be on the field at William B. Green Junior Stadium. I think it might come down to that, because Coach Sanders has talked about, you know, it might be ugly, but I talked to Coach Hatchery, he's just like, look, I mean, I don't know what I'm going to get. You know as well as I do what I'm going to get because it just has been so long. Mitch Stewart's the new offensive coordinator. He was the head coach at Murray State from 2015 to 2019. And then, as you said, Nick DiBenedetto, uh, the new defensive coordinator. I think that there's been a lot of time for these coaches to, um, whether it's on the offensive side for ETSU or for Sanford defensive side of both, the extended offseason I think could help some of that, but it is just so much different on game day. And now you're going to get a ton of game day football next six, seven months after you've had none, right? Or I guess nine, ten months after you've had absolutely none. So if this does get ugly, you know, it could come down to a missed kick. It could come down to who will be better. And the better kicker, I personally think, was Tyler Keltner. 77% of field goals is what he made in 2019. While Finneran, yes, he led the conference in points from kickers, kicker points, like seven and a half kicker points, but he was only 71%, you know, kicking on your home field. Not sure how that may affect things as well. So anyway, if it does come down to that, which I think it could, especially if things go a little bit more ugly, as Randy Sanders has predicted at times, um, this could be a special teams game, and you've often said it, you know, especially when, let's look at the 2018 season, for instance. Margin of error for ETSU was very, very small because they did not have an explosive offense, um, barring, you know, largest comeback in school history when Austin Heron came back in and that you know miracle, miraculous, momentous occasion. Um, it wasn't a team built to come from behind, so you had to make sure you didn't make mistakes. Where do a lot of those mistakes come? Special teams. Special teams plays can turn. So it will be interesting with Washington, one of the most dangerous special teamers in the region, if not the country, and you've got two great kickers in Fenneran and Keltner, and then the punting game is always a question mark, really, I think, across the Southern Conference and at the FCS level uh, with very few exceptions, but um, I'm excited to have football back. I, I am just not sure exactly what it's going to look like on either side. 100% agree. I, I don't know. Are we going to get game one ugly? Nobody knows what they're doing in the spring because they haven't played in 450 some days or whatever it is. Or are we going to get regular FCS football? You know, I, I hope we get. You know, and maybe game one's not, but hopefully game two you get 
regular FCS football, which you can expect to see. It's not a comedy of errors. It's not a lot of penalties. It's not a lot of different things. I, I think it's interesting, too, because everything is changing. Guys are opting out at different times. Obviously, injuries are going to come into play. Will, I, the most interesting thing is, are people going to rotate more people in because you're going to have 20 games in a 10-month period? Is there going to be – you know, there's so many ifs. Like, one of the craziest things you look at is Jay Stanton is listed as the second-team preseason conference, but third string on his own team. So, I don't understand. So, there are things like, okay, are they doing that because they want to limit Stanton's carries? Or are they doing that because – the league likes Stanton, and somehow his coach doesn't. He fell out of good graces. Is a situation, you know, he could opt out, and they don't know if he's by committed. I mean, who knows? I'm just, you know, there's a lot of – so I find it very interesting on what it is. I just hope at least after the first quarter, teams settle in and you get sort of regular FCS-type football. What else you got? For this game? Yeah. Nothing but predictions. Tom Brady won't make that mistake again. Antonio Brown to Tampa. Absolutely not going to happen. Clay Thompson, comeback player of the year. Calling it right now. The season Jim Harbaugh is taking Michigan to the national championship. Well, there's just no doubt. The Southern Conference will be playing football in 2020. Wake Forest. L-O-L. Steve Ford most certainly will be back in the blue and gold. Jay Sandoz will fulfill his New Year's resolution 30 pounds down during quarantine. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. 30, think about that. Yeah. Simple wrong would have done just fine. What's a dirtier 30? Turning 30 or 30 pounds down if you actually can? That would be an incredible 30 days. You know, I was very disappointed when I turned 30. I thought there would be... I don't know. Greg's uh, no, not, not that. I just thought house. something would be different, and to be honest, the hangover was the same. <laughs> yes. it, you know, it really wasn't, yeah. wasn't that big a deal. Right. I don't know. All right. Enough about Jay Sando's lifestyle, because uh, that's a whole show in itself. Let's talk a little bit of bold predictions. Of course, I won two. I, I noticed you haven't led with that yet. Oh, uh, by the way, I looked back, and uh, we have a revision to bold predictions from Monday. Um, whoever I said... One did not win. No, no, no. It's on, it's on the record. Yeah. We've got it. No, nope. yeah. it's on the well, tape. You know what's on the record? What? The results on this team's websites. Uh, the number top nine team, whoever I had winning, mm-hmm. they did not win. You were right on Toledo winning. The team that I said won did not win, so only one team outside of Drake and Loyola. So I'm back to a half point? Half point. I'm back to a half point? Uh, nine and a half. Is there a committee now. we get? The, no, there's Okay. No. We, we dissolved the committee when we didn't hear from them for a couple of when, 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 when they decide to live their life. And I, yeah. yeah, okay. It's stop revolving their lives around us, which is probably a good call. All right, well, since I, I won an extra uh, uh, half no, game not an extra half. Well, so you have one and a half from last week to my one, so that puts you two down. I think it's nine and a half, seven and a half. Yeah, but I won last week, so you're up first. You know, that's true. Okay. That's, that's well, I'm ahead by two. Okay. So I already did put one of the books, if you remember. Yes. Um, Wofford is going to lose one of the three they have between – Citadel, who they already beat, so mm-hmm. that, I'm off the books for that. That's no good. Or Western or Sanford. So at Western or at Sanford is a loss for Wofford. And actually, both those games, I believe, are in the next 72 hours. So we should know by Tuesday's show if that happens or not. I already, though, lost a third of that prediction, even though it's not technically that. I just have them beat, winning one of those games or losing one of those games. One of those three. But they're one for one so far. So I'm down to two games that they have to lose one of, essentially. You can follow those numbers. Uh, Essentially, go Western or go Sanford. Not go a, Western or not, go home. Not Saturday, though. Not Saturday. Don't mm-hmm. go Sanford, not Saturday. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and FCS football, I'm going to take the Mercer Bears on the road at Wofford. Sands Tyree Devison. We hardly knew ye. That's, uh, oh, well, we did know him quite a bit. But, uh, <laughs> Actually, too much, years. maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's six. a good point. Uh, but uh, Coach Conklin's had a foot out the door. He's been trying to get other jobs. Are they really focused? He wants to throw the ball again. Nobody knows why in the world he wants to do that. So I'm going to take the road upset of the Mercer Bears at Wofford for uh, my sort of non-ETSU. You are levying some very bold, bold statements at Mr. Josh Conklin. So uh, I always take bold statements against Josh Conklin ever since he lost to – South Carolina State because he wanted to throw the football with guys that only had never even heard of the forward pass. So that being said, uh, Wright State was the team, by the way. They won both their games against Milwaukee. That was the team I had. I just, I, it was actually just, Toledo. You remember me saying Wright we have State, moved on, Mike. Wright we have State. moved on. We have I said moved on. Wright State. Right, lost to, 
Bowling Green. Can we talk? Actually, can we? No, we can't. Shut up, JC. I know it's Wright State. Won both games. Toledo. Men's basketball. I don't know if you know this, but they play at Sanford since Mike won't stop talking. I'm going to go Damari Monsanto, 30 points. You really have double zero? Can we double up? Let's double up. Nice one change. Okay, okay, okay. David Sloan, first game, 20. In both games. Actually, it's career. Okay. 20 or more. All right. 18, the most he scored in his Division One career. Once against Gardner-Webb, once against Vito. 17 was his most in Kansas City. That'd be career high. All right, Monsanto, 27 or more. 27 or more. I don't know. I'm just dropping into you. Say, I can't How you say career high for Monsanto? I'll say career high for Sloan. All right, we'll go with that. That'd be great if they both could. Because it'd be it'd be nineteen for Sloan right here. Had eighteen, had a couple eighteen pointers. That's right. And then you can do well. Demario would be twenty five. It'd right? be twenty five. Okay. So nineteen or more, twenty five more. All right. Sounds good. And then uh, football. Oh, I, you're gonna what love you this. One. You're gonna love this. Okay. North Dakota State has a theory. I've stolen the theory. The number of pass completions and rush attempts have to equal fifty five to get wins. Okay. Last time and the only win, ETSU beat Sanford. They had sixty two. The only other time they broke 50 was a single-digit loss. So I'm going to equal the 62. Pass completions plus rush attempts for each issue against Sanford will be 62 or more. There will be at least, let's see if I can do the math in my head really quick, 25 combined special teams points. Field goals, extra points, and so forth. 25 so scoring more. Maybe. With field goals, or well, at least a lot of field maybe. goals. Maybe. A lot of field goals in the <laughs> cold be, weather. Could be 17 14, but most of those are special teams. Yeah. We'll see if there'll be any 50 yard field goals Ooh, this season. That'll be tough. Boom, boom. All right, Santa Sockick, be boom, back boom. with you after we talk about Jake's next boom, week. Boom. Go Bucks.